Cambridge has some of the greatest inequality in the country in terms of social mobility and overall life chances for disadvantaged children and young people. Children from these backgrounds generally do less well academically and have less opportunities for career progression and income generation. It is clear that emphasis must be put on education, careers information and work experience opportunities in Cambridge to improve social mobility. I'm Alison Taylor and this is Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality. Today I'm talking to Tarek Sadiq, Chair of Cambridge Commons, about the Form the Future mission and how young people can be empowered in their career choices and prepared for the future. Tarek, there's clearly lots for us to talk about, but before we start, I'm going to enlist the help of Ryan Kelsall to help set the scene. It's our job to make sure that we don't limit opportunities for any student who comes here. Ryan is Deputy Chief Executive of the Eastern Learning Alliance, a group of seven schools in the Cambridge area. He's also head teacher at Impington Village College, where we caught up with him. I wanted to know what was on offer in terms of career support for the students there. There are lots of opportunities through the, the workshops and the employability days that we, we run alongside Form the Future to get people in, talk about interview skills, writing CVs, giving kind of inspirational talks about different areas. And then there's the more direct aspects through supporting curriculum programmes and vocational programmes and coming in and running regular workshops with identified groups of young people who are really passionate in that area. That prolonged engagement and support with young people, with schools, with qualification programmes builds really strong collaboration and relationships. On top of this, Ryan is committed to providing a wide range of experiences and opportunities for students, from sport, music, the arts, to exposure to businesses and even professional football teams. So we give them the opportunity to experience as many things as they can, and in doing that, hopefully allow them to find those that they, they really excel in or are passionate about, and then really signpost to them where that can go. Welcome then, Tarek. Ryan seems to be doing a great job in Impington and we'll hear more from him in a minute. To expand on what he said, what, from your point of view, are the job and career opportunities like in Cambridge, especially for children from disadvantaged backgrounds? So th there are many different, varied, exciting job opportunities in Cambridge. We have one of the most dynamic economies in the world and we generate such fascinating new jobs as well as having uh, existing jobs that are really interesting. But the problem is that the people who are least connected to society because of disadvantages that, may, that they may have through poverty or uh, lack of networks or lack of social mobility, they don't know what these jobs are. They have no inkling about the opportunities that are available to them. They don't know what the companies on their doorsteps actually do. Um, they don't even go into those areas. They might never walk to the science park and there are parts of even the city centre that they don't go into. So it, it has been said before, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it's actually very true. It is a tale of two cities. There is this deep and embedded inequality that persists generation after generation. 
at one level, even though I think there's growing awareness of this problem, particularly with regard to the younger generation, what we have to do for young people, there's still another level of feeling that this isn't our problem or this is somebody else's problem. This is not society's problem, but it's up to individuals to sort themselves out. That's a real problem and that is a real hindrance and something that holds back young people. And with some honourable exceptions, many companies also feel it's not their problem. So what sort of support do young people get currently in school about making their subject choices and future career choices? How much guidance do they get in that? I think it's very, very variable from school to school. Um, I think in some schools they have a very good setup with careers leaders who are well informed about the labour market and are capable of imparting that information. In other schools, the careers lead might also be a teacher who has a, a full-time day job um, and can't really give it the priority or the, or the time and attention that careers guidance needs. This is exactly the case at Impington Village College. My person who does careers also teaches 35 hours of geography, gets paid a couple of grand extra and is given four hours a week to develop a whole careers programme. In some cases where schools have um, a particularly difficult or complex catchment area with kids with, with a variety of disadvantages, it may be quite difficult for them to see the value of thinking about the world of work and what happens after school and how the curriculum connects to the world of work as well. And those schools need a lot more support and it's, I, I don't think they often get it. So I feel that organisations like the one I work for, Form the Future, help tremendously because they can come in and provide that service but not every school can can accommodate someone like us or may not have the resources to pay for it in fact few schools in Cambridge do and often these things have to be funded from other sources and sometimes you have to apply for donations apply for money ask companies to fund them and it shouldn't be that way in my view in, in the way that education is a right and is funded by the government. So what happens after education should also be part of that education system. So it shouldn't just stop when the child leaves school at 19 or 18 or whenever their further education or employment training ends. So explain to me then what the Gatsby benchmarks are and how they're used in schools across the country and indeed in, in Cambridge? Yeah, so the Gatsby benchmark is a set of standards, really, that schools have to follow, really, and they're, and they're monitored through Ofsted now as well. So the, the ones that we're particularly keen on is, it's all about careers, but um, there are a couple of key ones. One is about encouraging um, employer encounters, so putting young people in touch with people in the world of work and bringing them together in a variety of different ways. It's about having a curriculum which has some linkage or understanding of the world of work and careers. And that can sometimes bring out a, a tension as well because sometimes you know, there is a feeling that education is about, the, for the sake of learning, it shouldn't necessarily be connected to what you might do after education, what, what kind of job you might do. But the reality is that those kids that come from advantaged backgrounds who can 
call it that, or have networks, will be able to navigate their way through the career system. And we'll be able to find opportunities for things like work experience and shadowing. And we'll have the support from parents to be able to follow a career path and get guidance and advice. But there are lots of other children who won't have that. So it's important in schools, and this is what the Gatsby Benchmark tries to do, it tries to give all children in the school an education in careers and makes it part of the school's responsibility to do that. Here's Ryan again telling us how Form the Future facilitates employer encounters within the Eastern Learning Alliance. We've been really lucky. We've worked with Form the Future, who are a social enterprise company in Cambridgeshire who have done huge amounts of work to engage employers and we've been working with them from the outset. So we host a lot of events here where employers come in, workshops, other students come from other schools. We have a formal work experience programme that happens in year 10 and then other aspects alongside that happen through just trying to encourage young people to be more reflective about their longer term prospects and where they're going. Tarek, you've briefly mentioned Form the Future and Ryan, having worked with the charity, is obviously a fan. Since the founding five years ago, Form the Future now works with 80 schools across Cambridgeshire and the surrounding areas. Tell me a little bit more, why was it formed? The mission is to inspire young people about the world of work, to open their eyes to the world of work by connecting them to employers. And we work with hundreds of volunteers, people who give their time freely to come into schools to do games, events, activities. We organise careers fairs as well. We organise a STEM activity through our Cambridge Launchpad programme, working with some of the leading companies in Cambridge. We offer apprenticeships advice. We offer one-to-one careers guidance as well. We try to be uh, leaders in this area as well, to try to push the agenda forward and to engage with policymakers as well, making sure that they're aware of what the need is. And what are you asking of policymakers? What are you engaging with them to try and achieve? First of all, I think it's about making sure that schools are fairly funded. And particularly in our region, you know, we've had a long-standing historic disadvantage in terms of funding for schools, which means that perhaps in a neighbouring area, you know, you might have schools that are capable of paying for and funding careers advice and having a careers advisor in post or paying for one-to-one careers guidance sessions. But, you know, right across the border in Cambridgeshire, there won't be very many schools that can do that. So the funding playing field is not level. So it needs to be more equal. And also, we need to make sure that the way that kids can engage with the world of work includes things like work experience. So going into the workplace and having the opportunity to spend an extended period of time, maybe a few days a week, situated in a work environment and have the opportunity to talk to people who can explain and inspire them through their own example, through their own life journeys and through their own career journeys as well. That's one of the areas where we could do a lot more in that many companies um, feel that they're not able to provide work experience and that maybe for practical reasons, it may be that it's not a very high priority for them. But there's also a recognition that we have a skills shortage, particularly in areas where STEM and new technology skills are essential. So if we're going to try to stay dynamic, try to continue to generate these great, 
technology, startup firms, and local companies that go on to become world-beating, then we need to make sure that we have a talent pool and we need to build that talent pipeline. Often what happens is that companies will look overseas to try and recruit that talent pool uh, or will look to other parts of the country. Whereas what we're saying is that, look, you've got a whole bunch of people here on your doorstep. If only you could engage with them and show them the opportunities and inspire them to work hard and do well at school, that they could also be working for the Amazons or the Arms or, or the Abcams of this world. Careers needs to become more central to the educational programme. At the moment, we're told it's a statutory requirement but there isn't a huge amount of space created for it within the educational system with all the other competing things that are going on. And again, I think it's about ensuring that we develop programmes of study that are more effective. So in our sixth form, we run, where we run vocational courses, we align them with businesses who we have partnerships and links with and create scholarship programmes. So those businesses come in and work very closely with us. So in our media programme, we work with Cambridge TV, who come in and work with us very closely, provide workshops, internships, support. In performing arts, we work with big performing arts providers in London who come and run workshops. For our sports programmes, we align with high performance clubs where possible, so football with Norwich City, rugby with Cambridge Rugby Club. So they provide the training, but also the wider opportunities to understand how those businesses work and the fact that there are lots of employment opportunities beyond just being a footballer or a rugby player or being a film star in media or being on stage and a performer in performing arts. It's about exposing them to that wider knowledge and understanding. What that also links to, though, is we need to, in this country, move beyond stigmatising vocational education. We don't have a positive outlook on vocational education. It's great that we've pushed and promoted so many young people going to university, but is that right for all the young people who go to university? Is there a different route? I think we really need to provide a more forceful and proactive approach to promoting apprenticeships, vocational learning, so that those pathways become really viable options for young people who want to be successful and not seeing it as, as a poor relation to an A-level or an IB qualification, which is seen as more academically rigorous. Ryan spent many years working with partners such as Form the Future to get these opportunities up and running. He clearly believes the balance of university versus vocational training has been off kilter for years in the UK. Tarek, what's it like elsewhere? In other countries, they have much more respect for the vocational path. So learning a trade or a job or a skill set is just as valuable as being academic and going off to do a, a degree in sociology. I think it's important for people to recognise that academics alone can't run the world. You need people who know how to build things and fix things and know how to treat people, look after people. That's increasingly important in our society. And I think one of the things that COVID-19 has shown us is those people that have been working in the labs to provide a vaccine 
uh, absolutely key and essential. And they generally would have gone down the academic research route. But those people that have kept our society going and have looked after people in care homes and delivered food and been out there looking after the basic necessities of life are just as valuable. The two have to be seen as equals. That's one of the big mindset barriers that we need to get over. And in this country, I think we've always found it quite challenging. Often governments will say they think it's important, but they won't put the money behind it to prove that they think it's important. And this is the problem. You know, we have some of the the most well-funded universities in the world, including one in Cambridge. But, you know, if you compare that to the resources available to the local regional college, for example, or other vocational training providers, it, it just doesn't stand comparison. We have to try and create more of an equilibrium between the academic and the vocational. And it's also not the case that once somebody is on an academic path, they can't then switch to a vocational path or vice versa. Humans are versatile and it is possible to do both. So we have to leave those possibilities open. And it kind of goes back to one of the things that Form the Future tries to do, which is to try to keep people's minds open. When we do our workshops and activities in schools, we always say to people, well, you're not limited in what you can do. You shouldn't kind of confine yourself or restrict yourself. You don't have to do just what your parents do or what you see your neighbours or friends doing, you know. The whole world is open to you. It isn't just about the mindset of policymakers. It's also about the willingness of those young people to feel that they have these opportunities and are capable of doing things that they hadn't thought that they were capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with that. I myself don't have a degree. I I don't think it's disadvantaged me in any way at all. Um, so I'm a great advocate for keeping people's minds open to other opportunities. You talked earlier about lack of resource and underfunding of schools in Cambridge and how that impacts on careers, advice and and guidance and so forth. The other thing, of course, that this pandemic has brought very much into the spotlight is the disadvantage in terms of digital exclusion for some of our young children. What do you see as the long term? Is there a solution to that? What can be done about that? Because surely in Cambridge, which is a, a technology hotspot, every child should have access to a computer at home. We have to start seeing access to data as something comparable to access to water and access to electricity and access to basic needs and utilities of life. You know, I think it's become that important. So much of our lives are now dependent on being connected, that if you're not connected, you're automatically excluded in many ways. And we saw that quite clearly through COVID-19 with with children who are not able to do their homework at home because they don't have devices or they have limited access to data. So data should be a utility that everyone has access to. And devices obviously are critical as well. And it's, it's been really quite mysterious as to why 
a city like Cambridge, with so many big tech companies, have not been able to step in and fill that gap. Now, many of those companies would say, well, it's not their responsibility, it's the duty of government. But as we, as we know, government paid lip service to doing that, if I can be political for a moment, but didn't actually deliver on it, you know, delivering far fewer devices than they had promised. So what do you do under those circumstances? Do you just say, well, you know, well, you know, we shrug our shoulders, what can we do? Or do we try to take social action and get the community mobilized to try and meet that need? And I think many people are trying, like you, Alison, but it shouldn't have to be that way. Why should we have to do that? It's so important and fundamental to child's education that it shouldn't depend on the goodwill of people to try and get money from whatever source they can or get old devices that can be refurbished from whatever source they can to try and fill that gap is too important. Yes. I think one of the things we've seen through the pandemic is very much communities coming together to do things that they wouldn't have done before. And I think there needs to be some real positive takeouts from that. I want to hear from Ryan about how the Eastern Learning Alliance has adapted to the added difficulties the pandemic has placed on disadvantaged children living without digital access at home. One of the things that the lockdown brought into a sharp focus was the concept of digital poverty and the ability for all young people to access knowledge and information and teaching and learning remotely. I think that's something that hadn't been recognised as much as it should have been in the past. It was clearly very challenging for schools and for government to provide the funding and access to deal with that very quickly. I think some steps were made and we were able to support quite a few young people. We also made sure that we prioritised getting those young people back into school first of all. The job of a school is to provide equity and that doesn't mean that everything is equal. So those young people who we knew were, were not getting access at home were prioritised to come back into school. And that was difficult for some other young people to understand why we were prioritising some others. And they were saying it wasn't fair and it wasn't equal. But the experience that young people were having at home wasn't fair and wasn't equal. Not everyone has access to a personal device at home. A family of five might have one laptop where you can't have all five kids online learning at once. So, Tarek, it shouldn't be the responsibility of communities to be filling the technological gap. It is absolutely wonderful that people do that. It's amazing that people give up their free time and and give money and other support to help people in need. I think sometimes there's a danger that that leads to government feeling that it can simply let them get on with it and abdicate its responsibility. If you have a political philosophy which is laissez-faire and tries to reduce the size of government and reduces the area of society which government intervenes in, then you're always going to come up with a problem in that many people are going to fall through the gaps and be left behind because even the goodwill of good citizens cannot fill every gap, cannot catch everyone that falls in between the cracks. So it is essentially saying, so be it then, if some people get left behind. And I don't think that's acceptable in the 21st century in a rich, developed society. (laughs) 
So in the context of everything that we've talked about, what do you think needs to be in place to inspire children to create the sort of social mobility that you have as part of your vision for Cambridge um, to motivate young people to really reach for their career ambitions? I'd like to see all of our companies in Cambridge giving a public commitment to supporting young people in our area. And by that, I mean making it part of their company policy to offer work experience, for example, at whatever level that they can, committing to provide their employees with volunteer days when they can go into schools and engage with young people and talk about careers. We have lots of volunteers, but we're still always short of volunteers when we do our events and activities. We're always pleading with people to come and get involved. If companies can make it part of their corporate culture to be engaged in careers education, I think that's a big step forward. And to make some kind of numerical commitment. So, you know, they will give X number of days or X number of hours per year. Or if they can't do that, then they they might decide to support their local school with funding or with resources or materials or with lesson plans that the teachers can use in, in classroom, which can demonstrate and reveal the kind of work that goes on in their environs, you know. So I think there's lots of very creative and interesting things that companies could do. They should all have a corporate social responsibility policy, which should be backed up by concrete examples and steps that they're going to take to implement it. And, you know, there are organizations like ours, like Form Future and many others that I'm sure would be ready and willing to help. I think sometimes it's not clear to people what it is they can do and how they can help. And maybe there needs to be a stronger ask from charities and from places like Form the Future, a clearer call to action for people wanting to volunteer. So you're saying today, come knock on the door, volunteer your time, and we'll have lots of jobs for you to do. Yeah, I think volunteering is is hugely important. It's, it's also a question of, in the absence of proper funding of careers education, it's often left to social enterprises and charities to fill the gap. And they spend a lot of their time and money and their capacity simply trying to raise money. Um, so money is important too. It's not the only thing, but it is important. We have to pay the overhead costs, we have to pay the bills, we have to employ people. And without that, without those organisations and those structures which are properly funded, then you know we can't really do the job properly. It needs to be much more structured in that way. Um, it really ought to be a collective effort that those companies, those organisations that are going to benefit from the inspiration that we give to young people about careers and the education that we give them about pathways, in a few years down the line, they will have a much more prepared, much better, skilled talent pool. And that helps everybody. It's just something that should be part of the investment policy of companies. Thanks so much for your time, Tarek, today and for your inspiring words. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and I look forward to many more discussions in the future. I'll leave you now with some final thoughts from the Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire, Julie Spence. Well, thank you, Alison. This episode really focuses on a critical issue around how we close the experience gap to then ensure that young people achieve their potential. It's really good to hear that career development is now back on the school's agenda and it's part of what they are expected 
to do for young people. But I question myself as now I have the opportunity to go around many of the brilliant companies in Cambridge. Teachers who have a full-time teaching role and then only have a few hours to put together a career development programme, even though they might use organisations like Tariq's, how do they know what's available in the city? Schools are never going to be able to give a complete picture of the careers available in this city. So we do need to ensure that companies come together to work with us to enable the young people that we see in our schools today having a really clear picture of what is and isn't available to them and what they can aspire to and what they can't. So companies, this is a really big plea to you that you need to come forward. You need to get some of your staff to volunteer in schools, to go and talk to children, to actually ensure that they will become your employees of the future. And I think one other thing that's become enormously stark as we've gone through COVID is the range of digital poverty within this city. We have the Amazons of this world, we have Raspberry Pi, Microsoft, Google, and yet we have areas within the city where people do not actually have a facility above one mobile phone where young people can do their homework. And the future is going to be digital. So it is important that we really try to bridge that digital divide again to ensure that all children are on the same platform and can actually achieve their goals and abilities. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode of Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality. Tariq Sadiq, Chair of Cambridge Commons, Ryan Kelsall, Deputy CEO of the Eastern Learning Alliance, Sam Fox, Principal at North Cambridge Academy and to the team at Conscious Communications for bringing this all together. If you'd like to be a contributor on a future series of Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality, please contact Alison Taylor at Conscious Communications on info at consciouscoms.com. We believe the messages around reducing inequality in this episode are important, so please help us spread them far and wide by sharing this show with your network. So really, come on Cambridge, this is one where we can all make a difference. We have numerous skills in this city and together we can ensure that social mobility happens by right and everybody gets to climb that ladder.